Good morning, everybody. Good morning. In Isaiah 25, verse 1, it says, Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. We have a God who keeps his promise. So let's sing and let's praise him this morning. That will bring them down 
morning. Welcome to Great Commission Church. My name is Don McKenzie. I'm the financial administrator here at GCC. And we have a great service planned for us today. And you can follow along uh, in this worship guide. Inside, you'll see upcoming events, our order of service, place for notes. And if you're a guest here, on the back, there may be some items of special interest to you. Now, being the fourth Sunday of the month, we have a different order of service today. The message will be next, and then we'll sing a couple of songs, enjoy the Lord's Supper, and then we'll have a special time of prayer ministry to conclude our service. Now, I'd like to draw your attention to this welcome card that's in your seat. I want to ask you to hold on to this card until the end of the service, and as you leave, you can drop this in the black metal boxes that are at the end of your section or in the uh, wooden offering boxes that are by the exit doors. And if you're a guest here today, I want to extend a special welcome to you, tell you how delighted we are that you're here today. And you could say hello back to us by filling out the front of this card. And you might also notice that on the the bottom, there are places for some check boxes as we proceed through the service and you feel like the Lord has made application in your life of one of those, then you can just check that and then put it in one of the boxes at the end of the service. And also, I'd like for our guests to know that when you leave, right out in the lobby, there is a kiosk area that's designed for your new here. And we have a special gift that's waiting for you right there. And then for everybody, including our members, be sure to put a prayer request on this side because our staff and elders pray for every one of those. Now, before we receive our offering this morning, I am reluctant, reluctantly wanting to share an embarrassing moment that I had the very first Saturday of 2024, just a few weeks ago. Uh, I was happily printing out our first offering check for 2024 when I looked down at it and went, uh-oh, uh, I don't think this is the right amount. And I had forgotten that back in November of last year that my wife and I had agreed that we were going to increase our giving because we wanted to be a part of uh, fulfilling this big vision that God has given us for 2024. Well, uh, we filled out the commitment card, we put our increased amount on there, and then we dropped it in the offering on that special Sunday, but I couldn't remember the amount that we had agreed to increase. So I asked my wife, Phyllis, and uh, she couldn't remember either, and that's when uh, she said, oh, I know, why don't you contact the financial administrator at the church? Maybe he can, oh wait, you're the financial administrator. And of course, that's how the fight started. Okay, actually we didn't fight, but then I remembered that I had put everybody's 2024 commitment card amounts in a spreadsheet. And so I uh, went and looked at the spreadsheet to find out what I had said we were going to do and then we adjusted, and then it hit me, maybe I'm not the only one who forgot about their 2024 uh, commitment card. And so if you can't remember what you put on your card, uh, feel free to contact me and I'll let you know what it was. And then I also thought those who do electronic 
recurring giving, you might want to go into that and adjust it to whatever you had decided to do for 2024. Hey, aren't you glad to be a part of a church where the Lord is saving people and changing our lives? I, I love being a part of Great Commission Church, and I think that you're like me in that we are so thankful to the Lord that we're even able to give. So as I pray, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and we'll uh, receive our offering this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, we acknowledge that everything that we have, it has come from your hand, for you're God and you alone are God. So Lord, help us as we think about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the glory of being saved and wanting others to be saved. Inspire our souls that we could be cheerful givers, just like you were, Lord Jesus. Bless us today, we ask in your name. Amen. Find Isaiah 40 in your Bible, Isaiah 40. We have two more Sundays left of 29 Days of Promise, our beginning of the year sermon series. My name is Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor. And as you find Isaiah 40, I'm finding Hebrews 11 for a reason. In that great hall of fame of faith chapter in Hebrews 11, where those Old Testament saints uh, by name and many anonymous are listed and the exploits they did and the power of God. Um, and then they make up that great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on from the grandstands of heaven in Hebrews 12. Here's what we read about some of them. In Hebrews 11:36 to the first part of verse 38, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. 
And in my studies this week, I discovered that one of those who the world was not worthy of in the verses that we just read is this prophet named Isaiah that our promise for this sermon series is found in his work today. And so I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to survey Isaiah chapter 40 quickly with us with some background that will give you some insight. And then I'm going to apply the message, and we're going to go quickly. But by the time that Isaiah makes the prophecy in chapter 40, that's our key text, he's in his twilight years. He's an older man. And in the middle of the book of Isaiah, we get some narrative in the middle of all the prophecies, chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39, and they deal with a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, was greatly influenced, especially influenced by the ministry of Isaiah the prophet, and then he died in 698 BC, and Isaiah was 72 years old. And for the first 35 chapters of Isaiah's prophecy, he's a fiery preacher. He is daring, he is clear, and he cries for repentance and for God's people to come out of rebellion. And not only God's people, he even has prophecies in the first 35 chapters to the surrounding nations. He's a prophet to the world almost. And that lasts for 40 years of his life, or about 35 chapters. Then Hezekiah dies. And Hezekiah passes the throne in his death to his 12-year-old son. His son was named Manasseh. And Manasseh was the worst of the worst of anyone who ever held the throne in the nation of Israel or in Judah. In fact, uh, Manasseh's worse than any world tyrant alive today. If you read about Manasseh and what he did in the Bible and extra-biblically, uh, you'll say, that's a guy, I'm glad I didn't live anywhere near where he was or at the time period that he lived in. He went into the throne as a 12-year-old fool, and he never recovered. In fact, he reinstituted in his 55-year reign that was totally in defiance of God, he reinstituted Canaanite worship, which is what Joshua and the children of Israel had eradicated, all but eradicated, in, earlier in the Old Testament. Manasseh filled Israel with abominable, detestable things, occult practices. They were worshiping the devil. Astrology. He taught them all to worship the stars in the heavens and even child sacrifice. So one of the ways you could worship the Canaanite gods was bring your little baby and throw them into the fire. Now, how do you think God felt about that? He silenced the Lord's prophets. He sidelined the faithful priests so that no one was worshiping Yahweh in the temple. And 2 Kings 21.9 says, Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He made the promised land worse than before Joshua and the boys got to it and destroyed all those pagan cities. All the gains from the grace of God now dissipated under the leadership of one godless evil man. And that made me think, well, you got this old man Isaiah 
He ministered to Manasseh's dad. Manasseh hates God. He knows Isaiah loves God. What is that going to mean for Isaiah? But because Manasseh's abominations were so bad, God had an announcement first. And through the prophet Isaiah, God announces that a foreign invader would soon swoop into Jerusalem and take all the people captive. We know that as the Babylonian captivity, and we have Daniel's prophecy to give us insight into that, the Babylonian captivity. My question is, what happened to God's prophet during this time? Remember the, those verses from Hebrews I read just a little bit earlier? The best record outside of the Bible, the best historical information that we have tells us that, that Manasseh arrested Isaiah and made a martyr out of him and had him sawn in two. And it's echoed in Hebrews 11, 36, 37, and 38. Then I wanted to know, how in the world do we go from King Hezekiah, who had a little bit of a relationship with God, he was back and forth, to an absolute tyrant who hated God? How do we get there? Or in my notes, I said, was Manasseh wicked because his own father was careless and short-sighted? Here's Hezekiah's reaction when Isaiah announced 20 years before it ever happened that the Babylonian captivity was coming. Hezekiah says in Isaiah 39.8, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Look, judgment's never good. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, for he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now that I know the attitude of Manasseh's father, which was, I don't care if evil's coming on my people later, as long as it doesn't happen while I'm alive, that gives me some insight into how Manasseh got where he got. But since judgment was coming and Judah was under the insufferable rule of Manasseh, Isaiah changed his ministry. For the first 35 chapters, he's a fiery preacher prophet. But in, in chapters 40 through 66... Isaiah resigns himself that the people are never going to repent and they're not going to have a change of heart until God brings his judgment of the Babylonian captivity, until he sends a, a foreign king into the land and steals everybody away from their parents, their homeland, and all their work and all their ability to live. Until he ransacks the whole place, Isaiah realizes what they're going to need those days are some words of comfort. They're going to need some sermons from me that they remember in their darkest hour. They need to know that God's last word in the Bible is never judgment. It's always salvation. So the prophet's new message is for people whose whole world has been shattered. And as a Christian pastor in 2024, things change every Sunday. Last week, you may have been gratefully, from your heart, rejoicing in the wonders and the love of God for how your life was going. And there may have been some events on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday that just turned the whole thing upside down. And you're like the children of Israel in Isaiah 40. You're away from 
the grace of God, and you need to know that he hasn't given up on you. So because of their rebellion, God is so merciful, he gives Isaiah chapter 40 to make the case for why they can trust God in the worst of times. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to survey verses 1 through 26 because our promise for 29 days of promise is verses 27 through 31, the end of the chapter. Here's the survey. In verse 1, God tells them that they are, they are his people. They are God's people. In verse 2, Isaiah says, not only are you God's people, you've been forgiven. The verse says, their iniquity is pardoned. In verses 3 through 5, God will bring them home. The, the prophet says, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In verses 6 through 8, God's word can be trusted. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. In verse 9, this kind of comfort that God is speaking must be shouted by the people confidently and fearlessly from the mountaintops. The verse says, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. In verses 10 and 11, God is like a warrior and a shepherd in the same person, and he will bring gifts to these suffering people, and it will make their travail of exile vanish like a dream. Behold, his reward is with him. In verse 12, something of the power of God is mentioned. He measured and created the universe as effortlessly as a master carpenter building the simplest of frames. The verse says he measures the waters in the hollow of his hands. In verses 13 and 14, God is infinitely wise. It says, who has been his counselor? Who has instructed him? In verse 15 and verse 17, God is totally sovereign. The nations are as a drop in a bucket to him. In verse 16, we learn that he's more worthy. He is worthy of more worship than we could ever give. The prophet says, there aren't enough animals in Lebanon to make the appropriate burnt offerings for our God. In verses 18 through 20, in verse 25, nothing compares to Yahweh. To whom then will you liken God, it asks. Verses 22 through 24, he is enthroned above the circle of the sphere of the earth. How about that? Flat earthers. Verse 26. Mind-blowing, verse 26. This God keeps the starry host by his power so that not even one ever goes missing. The verse says, who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. And we've learned that we don't have a telescope big enough to even give us remotely an idea of how many stars there are in all of creation, and yet God has got a book with their names in them. So here's the question. If God is like that, if he's anything like that survey we just took, how in the world could the children of Israel doubt his ability to fulfill his promises to them and bring them back out of captivity? That's the question. You know what the answer is? The answer is that truth is not so easy to believe when our world is in ruins. 
Or did you know that in the midst of suffering, we can forget everything we've ever been sure of in life? Now you're ready for the promise. Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31. Our Lord says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Father, it is with all of my heart that I pray that you would take this promise and infuse this congregation, every single person, especially those who hurt the most today, with hope. Your hope, O oh God. In Jesus' name, and a faith-filled church said, amen. Here's my sermon. It's two pages long. You just got the first page. Here's page two. I'm going to ask two questions to give you the answers. Apply them and be done. Here's the first question. What are their twin complaints? We just surveyed Isaiah 40. We looked at most every verse or thought about most every verse. The exiles, the ones who participated with King Manasseh and lived as if God weren't there and rebelled against him and reaped what they sowed and found themselves in Babylon. What would they dare say to God? They say two things. They say, number one, he doesn't see my life. The verse says, my way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't see me. I'm in, I'm in Babylon. He's forgotten. I'm never getting out. I'll never have the good life again. I'll never have what my parents had. I look back and, and I, I will never live in the light again. It's just this darkness. He doesn't see my life. Here's what I think they were, was in their hearts. You know, if you look around in view of all that's happened to us, can we really believe that God still cares for any of us? Look where we are. Look at the dead bodies. They won't even let us bury our people. Isn't it true that, that we're just too small and too insignificant for God to notice us? And so what if he cared about us in the past? By this time... Hasn't his commitment to us ceased? That had to be their attitude as they were imprisoned in a land not their own. Here's what I thought about. How easy it is to say that we believe that God has all power. How easy it is to believe that there's nothing God doesn't know. He's omniscient. And yet, believing that, at the same time, feel that he's either unable or disinterested in meeting our own personal needs or caring about our specific families. 
Happens all the time. Their complaint, he does not see my life, is often our complaint. There's a second one. Not only, not only is it, does he not see my life, it's, he will not hear my plea. So what if he even does see me? He's not listening. The verse says, my just claim is passed over by my God. I made a good case. I laid out all the evidence. It's clear that I'm right, and he doesn't care. Maybe you can't hear me. My first year in seminary, my first class in seminary was called Personal Evangelism. It was with Dr. Gray Allison, the dearly departed founder of that school, and he made us memorize these verses to share with sinners on how to be saved. And in this next couplet, one of those verses I had to memorize, I'll never forget it. Isaiah wrote chapter 40 of Isaiah, yes, yes or no? And you watch Sesame Street, so you know that Isaiah 59 comes after Isaiah 40, correct? And probably written by the same dude. Isaiah 59, after he heard the complaint of the people in Isaiah 40, and he doesn't see my life and he can't hear me anyway, here's what he writes in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's not that he can't hear. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And God says, it's not that I can't hear, it's that I'm refusing to hear from you because you're still trying to justify yourself before me. You're trying to blame all of your wickedness on a king when you gladly participated and wouldn't say no in the face of death. The reason that I'm not listening to you is because there's a barrier between me and you. It's your iniquities and your sins. And once you grab those and hand them to me, I'll hear every word you say. He doesn't see my life and he will not hear my plea. That was their complaint. Finally today, here's how we apply it to our lives. The last question in response. What is the prophet's response to their complaints? In summary, it's learn who God is and what he's like so that you can hope in him. Oh, you, you think he doesn't see you? You think he won't hear you? You don't know what he's like, and you don't know who he is. Once you do, you can have your hope back. And in the final verses of this promise, there are three things to learn about God. Number one, he's strong in himself. The verse says, have you not heard? Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I've told you before, the hardest verse in the Bible you'll ever believe is the first one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It takes a mighty force to do that. It takes a big God. Have you ever heard this? Do you know it? the creator of the ends of the earth. He never gets tired. 
He never needs a breather. He never has to recover. And his understanding, beyond past finding out. He's already strong, but he doesn't leave it there. Number two, he passes that strength to the weary. This powerful God is also a very good God. And he causes his sun to shine and his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Bible scholars call that common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to experience the goodness of God. So, he passes that strength to the weary. The verse says, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Let's review. He's strong in himself. He passes that strength to the weary. And the best one he saves for last, everybody look at me. He's worth the wait. But, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. By the way, wait on the Lord and hope in the Lord are appropriate translations of that same Hebrew word. So you may have an, an English translation that says, those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. Or yours may say, those who wait on the Lord. It's the same thing. There's hope in the waiting. And in our text today, the ones who were waiting were the ones who were under God's judgment. The ones who felt like God was far away. The ones who said, you know what? We're here because of what we did. We're here because our hearts are darkened and we love darkness rather than light. It's right that we're here. Is there any hope that we can ever go home? And that's what the promise at the end of Isaiah 40 is all about. Because you see, what you might not know is verses 25 through 31 are filled with Hebrew words for military use. In fact... To go more specifically, in Isaiah 5.27, some of the same words used there, the Assyrian army did not tire or stumble as it swept into Israel. In the first 35 verses, in the first 35 chapters, Isaiah deals with coming judgment from the Assyrian army. And then in the last 26 verses, 27 verses, 40 through 66, he deals with the invasion of the Babylonian army. And he says, remember when Assyria came in and wiped out the northern kingdom and you, you people from Judah barely escaped? Do you remember how in shape their army was? Do you remember how strong those men were? Do you remember that they didn't even have to ride on horseback? Many of them just walked or ran into the, into the area and they ransacked the place. Remember that? At the end of Isaiah 40, God says, in the same way, all of you under my judgment in a far off land, I'm going to power you. I'm going to rejuvenate your bodies and you're going to come back home. And you're thinking, our young men in the youth group, our high school boys who play sports, who have zero body fat and can eat 12 tacos in one sitting and not even gain an ounce, they'll never make that walk back home. You think all the grandmothers and grandfathers and dad bods out there can do it? We couldn't make it home if we tried. But the Lord says, if you'll wait for me and hope in me, I'll renew your strength. It'll be like you're mounting up on wings like eagles. 
You'll feel like you're flying home. You'll get there so rapidly. You, you're uh, earlier, <laughs> you're, you, even the youths faint and grow weary. You think not even your, only your young people could try and they couldn't make it. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I will get you home against all odds. I'll give you your hope back. If you'll trust in me. That's the promise. And I don't know what's broken down in your life. And I don't know how far away you feel from God. And I don't know if, if it feels hopeless to you. And you're like, it, it would take me too much effort to get my faith in Jesus back. And I go, have you read his promise? Do you know who he is and what he's like? Because if you do, you'll be filled with hope again. He'll bring you home. Let's bow for prayer today. Father, thank you for all your word that we can trust in, in these mighty promises. And I pray right now, you'll minister to this body. Amen. Now look at this. There's a, there's a card in your seat. Can I, can I ask you a favor? Everybody look at me. I know we're not even close to leaving church yet, so you don't have to pick up your stuff. Would you do me a favor? We, we have a contest among our staff, and, and, and it's, it's whoever asks for the cards, who can get the most people to check the boxes. And, and for, the, for just once, I'd like to win it. And, and you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe God will let you upgrade your neighborhood in heaven if you let your pastor have this. But, but I'm asking everybody in the room to look at this list, and I'm, I'm joking, but look, on the place where it says what's next for me, you might have found our church. You don't know anybody yet. All you've seen is a Sunday service, but you'd like to see what we like on the inside. Just check that box, get to know people at Great Commission. Make sure we have a way to contact you, and we can show you what a next step would be for you. Or others of you would say, I haven't become a Christian yet, but I've heard you guys talking about it, and I would like to trust Jesus for the first time. Would you help me to see what it's like to become a Christian? Check that box. So many have said over the years, you know, I've been away from church and away from God for a long time, and... It was hard enough just to get me to come into the room today, but, but I'd like to come back. Would you help me discover my faith in Jesus? If that's you, I promise you we can help you. Would you mark that box? Some of you have said, I believed I'm ready to be baptized. We want to know about that and help you with that. Mark that box. Some of you have said, hey, this is now my church, but it's not until you unite with us. I'd love to be your pastor. This congregation would love to welcome you into our family. Check that box. We'll get back with you. Or you may need to invite a friend next week because you've seen so much grace here and you know they need it. Put their name there and let us pray with you about it. Or there's a blank line that just says, hey, communicate with me this way. Mark that box. Take those next steps. Let God use his word in your life. Amen. Thank you, Trevor, for that word. Let's stand and respond to the truth that God is faithful to his promise to his children. And let's, let's respond with some more singing to him. Let's sing.
singing church
you to move give us a heart today that we don't want to leave because we know that we're in the presence of the king do something great this morning god deliver us speak to us heal us god we give you all the glory in jesus name amen you all can have a seat we are about to participate in what the bible calls the lord's supper as members of Great Commission Church, we enjoy being reminded that Christ Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Lord's Supper is an activity where we rejoice together that we still believe in Jesus. We believe He is the one who helps us to keep loving God and loving each other. We proclaim He is alive and coming back one day. If you are a guest here today and share this saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you are not a Christian or prefer to do this at your own local church, you can simply remain in your seat and observe how we do this. Unbaptized children can come to the table, but we ask that you withhold the elements and use this as a time to spark their questions and continue your gospel conversations with them. At this time, our ushers will release groups by rows.
The last segment of our worship service today is going to be a little different. Uh, we changed our liturgy up for 2024. And so it looks like this. On the first Sunday of the month is our global offering Sunday. And we take a time out in that worship service. And, and we, we all get prayed for, for our offerings and our 
treasure and our talent and the time that we're going to give to the Lord each month. We ask him to bless that, and it's a big deal. Then on, on Sundays 2 and 3 is kind of our normal liturgy. And then the fourth Sunday of every month, we have called it Prophetic Ministry Sunday. And so here's the first ever Prophetic Ministry Sunday that we're doing as a church on the Lord's Day. But let me just say that about six months ago or so, um, <clears throat> I got some of our leaders in this room and adults, students, and whoever, and we began to train and seek the Lord on how to hear his voice and how to obey what the scriptures teach in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, and in 1 Thessalonians 5, and in Acts chapter 2, and so forth. And then in September, I took some of the men of our church to a conference at a friend's church in Oklahoma City, and it was a couple of weeks before my dad would die, and, and uh, so I went there suffering. I went there, uh, oh, my body wasn't right because of a mission trip I'd taken to Kenya last February, and I came back and just under the care of doctors could not get well from another continent, and it was just a time of testing for me. And when I went to one of the breakout sessions at that conference, a lady that I'd never met uh, began to, she was uh, invited to come and speak some words that she thought she'd been hearing from the Lord. She'd just been writing down and praying through to help the church, and we would call this prophetic ministry. And she, learned, she turned to the room and she said, I have two words today that go together that the Lord gave them to me on different days. I've been praying for them for weeks. She said, the first one is to either a lady named Angela or your spouse is named Angela. It's a room of about 40 people with maybe 15 women. So I waited to see if any of the women raised their hand and say, my name's Angela. And I get to watch to see what the Lord is going to say to her. And no one raised their hand. And then she said, well, if your spouse is named Angela... My wife's name is Angie, but her name is Angela Downs Davis. And so I was like, guess it's me. See what happens here. And she said, my second word is for a pastor named Trevor. And so I was like, okay, God, um, guess you're coming in the room and want to talk to me today. And she spoke encouraging words to me. And she said, if you'll, if you'll meet me over here after the session's over, I, just, I think the Lord might have some grace for your healing today. I want to pray for you. And so... She prayed for me after it was over, after God gave her my wife's name and my name, and, um, and the Lord began to heal my body and prepared me for uh, the worst tragedy that's ever happened in my life, the death of my dad. And so I was, from that point on, I said, Lord, I, I'm not going to keep this from our church anymore. And then we began to do a small group study last fall called Freedom. We, had, we ended it with a conference right in this room, and some of our people in, the, in our church had begun to, the Lord had begun to speak to them, and they began to write down these words. We've been training. And I had some of our members of our church come to this microphone and just read word for word just some of the words they'd written down that they thought they had heard from God. And out of those words, people came to the front for our ministry time, the prayer time, and said, hey, it's like you're reading my mail. That was for me. And there were some healings and some things. One of the words from a lady, she said, what she wrote down was, for the last two weeks, I've just been seeing a man in a blue jacket with a heart issue, and you're having heart trouble physically, and the words mitral valve prolapse came to my head. She goes, I'm not a doctor. I don't even know what that is, but a man in a blue jacket with a heart issue, mitral valve prolapse. And at the end of that, at the end of that time of ministry, we opened up the altar for, for, for prayer and for prayer ministry. This man and his wife came to that lady and her prayer partner, and, and he said, that's me. Um, I have a blue jacket. I don't wear it all the time. I've been wearing it the last two weeks, though. And I have heart trouble, got a cardiologist, and I've been diagnosed for years with mitral valve prolapse. 
And she said, well, let's just pray for you and see what the Lord might do. Before the first service today, he came to me and he said, hey, are you going to share the mitral valve prolapse word? I said, yeah. He said, well, I just want to give you an update. After they prayed for me, uh, before that, I would wake up in the middle of the night with chest pains, uh, grueling, very difficult, very painful, scared I'm just going to die. And after she prayed for me that day and the Lord brought that word, I've been healed and it hasn't happened to me since. Now, did the devil do that? But does that sound like the kindness of God? I'm introducing you prophetic ministry now, but what you don't know is you've been walking in it for your whole life. Because all prophetic ministry is, is, is how God speaks to your heart and leads you in your daily life for specific things. And you say it like this, well, I was led to take this new job. Well, I was led to, to this new church. Or, or I, there, there, I, just, I just felt strongly that we, should, that we should sell our house and move to the other neighborhood. Or, 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 or I really felt like we shouldn't go to that concert. And wouldn't you know it, we didn't go. And there was an ice storm and people were popping their tires. And the Lord, just, the Lord just protected me from something that was unforeseen. All of that is prophetic ministry. You've been walking in it and saying it for years. You just didn't know what to call it. And so what I want to give you is a clear teaching on this since it's the first day. I won't teach this long every, every month. I'm going, to give you some, I'm going to introduce prophetic ministry to you from the Bible. And then I'm going to tell you about our prayer stations today. In the first service, after it was over, the lines were long. I prayed for people and so did everybody else for 30 minutes. It was, and we were not in a hurry. So many people were ministered to in the first service. And I think that the Lord's not run out of grace. I think he's going to do it again. And then after I tell you where to go, for if, if that's what you need for prayer, wherever you want to go, then I'm going to have three of our members are going to come up and, and they've got some words written down. I've already vetted them. And, I'm, and I, in fact, I've told them, I, I want you to read this one. I don't want you to read that one. They're going to read some words that they've been praying for you for, for the last month uh, because we started working on this uh, at the turn of the year. And I said, look, in January, I just want you to write down some things, hear from God, and we're going to see what he wants to share to the, to the church to help. So that's where we're heading right now. First thing I want to tell you is that everybody can prophesy to build up the church if you're a believer. Wayne Grudem defines the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. We're not talking about Isaiah Old Testament prophets. We're talking about the New Testament gift of prophecy. And Wayne Grudem calls it speaking human words to report something that God brings to mind. That's a pretty good definition. Uh, R.T. Kendall, who followed D. Martin Lloyd-Jones at the prestigious Westminster Chapel in London, a great Bible scholar himself, an amazing preacher, wrote that the gift of prophecy is the immediate and direct witness of the Holy Spirit. All of us want this. A prophetic word is when the Holy Spirit makes a person aware of something. You didn't know it, now you know it. It's a unique bit of information about the present or the future. And the New Testament teaches us that the gift of prophecy is a major outlet by which God communicates to churches and to believers. It is... There are, three, there are three major lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. The only gift that's mentioned on all three lists is the gift of prophecy. And God put it there in all three lists for a reason. He repeats it to suggest that he expects the gift of prophecy to be regularly employed in the ministry of local churches to build them up and to show certain aspects of his will. And so, so here's what I know, that the Bible teaches that men, women, and believing children all can hear from God, and they all can responsibly report what they believe they heard. Now I'm going to give you a list of several things that prophecy is. I'm going to go too fast for you to write it all down because I'm limited by time. 
but I've got it all in a Word file. If you email me at pastor.trevor.davis at gmail.com, I will reply to you with that file free of charge. Amen? And a double tithe of the church. All right, so I'm only kidding about that. The first thing I want you to know about prophecy is it's democratic. And the, 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 the most basic term, use of understanding of the term democratic is everybody gets to vote, everybody gets to play, everybody gets to participate. In Joel chapter 2 is a prophecy about the pouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. The, uh, the apostle Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 in Acts chapter 2 at his sermon at Pentecost, and he says in Acts 2, 17 and 18, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, how many genders? All both of them, right? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And you're never too old. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants, males. On my maid servants, females. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. It's democratic. Everybody gets to play. Number two, prophecy is both commanded by God and favored by him. It's commanded and favored. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Here's the command. Pursue love. Another command. Desire spiritual gifts. And then God says, my favorite, the one that's most important, especially that you may prophesy. Not only is prophecy democratic and commanded and favored, the gift of prophecy is to benefit others. It's not to make us look awesome. It's not, to, it, it's not to do anything for the speaker, the prophetic person. It's for others. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. I think it's the most important verse in all the Bible about the gift of prophecy. The one who prophesies, and we've just established, it can be men, women, children, young, old, sophisticated, uneducated, doesn't matter. The one who prophesies speaks three things. Edification, exhortation, comfort. Edification means to build you up. Exhortation means to encourage you. Comfort means to console you when you're sad and your heart's broken. Do you think building people up, encouraging them, and consoling them when they're heartbroken, does that sound like God to you? Does it sound like what the church should do? Those three things are to men, to mankind, to men and women. It's for the benefit of others. Next. Prophecy helps the congregation to build up the church or to build up itself. Before I read the verse, I want you to know, for far too long, church has just been music and a message. And not only has it just been music and a message, we've had two pendulums. We've had churches that are word churches, and they love the Bible and teach the Bible, and everybody reads the Bible, and it's the Bible, 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 right? I love the Bible, love God's word. The, and, and those are going to be the Baptists and the Presbyterians and this, the mainline evangelicals. On the other side is the Pentecostals and Charismatics, and they're our crazy cousins, right? And, and they're like, Spirit, 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 we need the Holy Spirit, we want the Holy Ghost, whatever you want to call them, we just want the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And God says, I want you to have both the word and the spirit and to be balanced in the middle. You're not balanced in the middle if you're, just, if you're just music and a message. You're not balanced in the middle if you're just speaking in tongues and looking for the Holy Spirit. In fact, here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, that you, you church, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, that's a song, a teaching, it's likely a sermon, a tongue, not even talking about that today. A revelation, that's prophecy, and an interpretation of tongues, also not talking about it today. But even though I'm not talking about it, you know how Apostle Paul ends that verse? 
He says, let all those things be done for the building of the body. He says, you need all of it, and you can't do it with just your preacher or your singer. It's, not, it's for the whole church. Next, prophecy is limited in public for two reasons. To maintain order and for, to reduce confusion. Prophecy is limited when we do it in public to maintain order and reduce confusion. And here's the verse that teaches that, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. You don't judge words if you can't get it wrong. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when it talks about this, it says, don't despise prophecies. Um, weigh what's said. Hold on to the good. And so today when three people get up and read some words to you that they've been praying about for a month, uh, it's getting judged two ways. It got judged coming in, because I'm vetting it, and, I've, and I've, I'm reading it and going, use that, don't use that. And it's going to get judged going out by you, the hearer. And some of you are going to judge those words as, oh my goodness, it's like God's been reading my mail, that was for me. And if that's you, it is a clarion call from heaven for you to do like many around you and come for prayer today, special grace in this moment for God to help you and build you up. The next thing I want to tell you about prophecy is it, it can be done well. It doesn't have to be a, a mess, and it, it should never be left alone. Prophecy can be done well. 1 Corinthians 14, 31 to 33. You can all prophesy one by one. One by one. And what does it do? Everybody learns. Everybody's encouraged. All may learn and all may be encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. It means they, it's not ecstatic. They can talk or they cannot talk. It's not some ecstatic thing that just pops out of their mouth. These things have been prayed about and thought about. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God's not the author of confusion, but peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God says, you can do prophecy, and it doesn't have to be confusing, and it doesn't have to be chaotic. It's going to be none of that. And then, most importantly, prophecy is not on the same level of Scripture. Uh, there's, a, there's a pyramid of seven levels of prophetic words that R.T. Kendall has. At the bottom is what we're talking about today, the bottom two. At the top is Scripture, and it governs it all. Prophecy is not on the same level of Scripture. The Apostle Paul says, look, in your church, when the gift of prophecy begins to be used, and you're, and you're amazed at the presence of God and the power of God, don't you for a second go, what I want is prophecy. I don't want preaching of the word. Because he says, if any of you think you're a prophet, if any of you thinks you're spiritual, then you need to be able to say with all confidence, acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. My letters are scripture, not your prophetic words. Your prophetic words come under it, and they never contradict it. And then lastly, some of you, be, this is one of my favorites, might be yours too, prophecy shall be governed. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. So we've governed it today, it's going to be very decent in order, we're going to read some things and we're going to pray, it's going to be great. My friend Michael Miller from Colorado says, prophecy is a time to hear from God for others. Now one last disclaimer, we won't probably have any words like this today, but one last disclaimer. Never ever, and I mean never, make a decision about a direction to take in life based only on a prophetic word. We don't do that. Prophecy is not on the level of scripture or the, the whole counsel of God. It should do two things. A prophetic word can confirm something you've already been thinking about or a leading you've already had and been praying for. Or it can be brand new. A prophetic word can cause you to pray about something 
you haven't yet considered. Here's what we're getting ready to do. After, after our folks come and read their words, we're going to leave that corner open because when I dismiss you to the prayer lines, we're also dismissing the service. And if, and if you don't need prayer, it's fine. You go that way. But we're going to have people in this corner, that corner, that corner, and up here too. In that corner, if you want prayer for physical healing, that's where you go. In this corner, if you need to be encouraged or consoled by the Lord and need that kind of prayer today, come over here. I need to be encouraged or consoled by the Lord. If you need wisdom or discernment over a decision you're making in life, big decision, small decision, matters not. If you need wisdom or discernment, go over here and let them pray for you. And if you need to be prayed for about your spiritual gifts, that God would impart them to you or make them stronger, I'll be here and you'll be here with me. We'll have Billy and some others, I think, over here praying, and there's places for you to go. All right. If my three folks will come on up now, you can read these words and share these. These are exciting. The words in the first service were different than these, so you can go watch that end of that sermon if you want to hear those too. Blair, you guys know what order? Introduce yourself and, and show you. Hello. I'm Blair. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, over the last month, as I've been praying for God to um, give me the gift of prophecy, he's laid these um, words and impressions on me, and I, um, this, is, this is new to me, so um, it, it, the feeling that I've gotten was an, an electric throbbing in these areas. So um, the left ankle, uh, and more importantly, the Achilles tendon, um, the ring finger in the right hand, the right side of your neck, someone's right knee, and this one is for comfort. Um, someone's been waking up between 3 and 4 in the morning, praying specifically for a child or a family member, and, um, and that one is, is for comfort because um, as, as I was praying about that one, the Lord showed me two beams of light going straight to, to his ears, and, uh, hmm. and he wants you to know that he hears you. Amen. Um, I'm Rachel Childs. Uh, on January 3rd, when I was praying, asking the Lord to speak to me um, for words to share with the church, I got a neck tightness on my left side of my neck and then a head turning involuntarily to the right. So neck tightness and then head turning. I am Phyllis McKenzie, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been praying and seeking the Lord about um, for his people, and I just couldn't get away from these two words. They're lonely and defeated. So the words lonely and defeated kept coming to my mind. Thank you, Phyllis. Lonely and defeated. Uh, you heard about some pains that people might have, and if any of those are you, don't leave here without being prayed for. And if, if any of those words were specifically for you, my, my counsel to you is go to the person that read the words, have them pray for you. Uh, in just a second, a whole bunch of us are coming forward whether those words were for us or not because we want the grace of God to be prayed for. You don't have to be a member of our church to receive prayer. We're desperate to pray for you. We want to encourage you and we want, we want to help you connect with the Lord. If the prayer team will get in their places, I'm going to pray and then we're going to be dismissed.
as they're coming. If everybody will stand to their feet, please. Father, it's with a great anticipation what you're going to do as we learn to hear your voice and have people built up, encouraged, and consoled. For your glory, Lord, minister to the saints of God, by the saints of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed. Come for prayer.